Well, good morning again, and welcome to our second installment of Seven. Hear what Christ is saying to you. Um, every once in a while, people will actually ask me and say, uh, what do you think? Do you think God is still speaking to us today? And I will say, absolutely yes. He is still speaking to us. He's speaking to us through his word. He's speaking to us through our circumstances, through other people in our lives. Um, if you look at the total of Scripture, you'll see some of those unique, unbelievable, almost miraculous times where God speaks into someone's life are, are, the, are the unusual. The normal is that he rhythmically speaks to us through words, circumstances, and those kinds of things. So we just need to be aware of that. Now, as we get into seven, uh, we, you know, we've talked about prophecy and uh, uh, what to do with that. We talked a little bit about that last week. And uh, for me personally... Uh, I like to really focus in on what is obvious, uh, some of the things that are a little bit obscure. We looked at that last week. Uh, we tend to miss the obvious when we focus on the obscure, and uh, a lot of prophecy is educated guessing, study, and those kinds of things, but there is a piece where no one's really sure, and if we were to take time and go over the last 2,000 years, we'd see that there's been periods of time regularly, almost in every generation, where they would say, this is it, this is the end times. So what do we do with that? You and I need to live like it could be the end times, but not plan on this actually being the day. All of this was written 2,000 years ago. And if you look at the way Jesus said things, other things, they said, these are the last days. That was 2,000 years ago. And as we talked about it last week, uh, we see that God's time frame, how he even measures time, is different from us. And we just need to be mindful of that. Jesus said, you are busy analyzing the scriptures, frantically poring over them in hopes of gaining eternal life, the eternal way. Everything you read points to me, yet you still refuse to come to me so I can give you the life you're looking for, eternal life. Life starting now and moving right on to eternity. So it's real easy to spend a lot of time speculating and looking that way without keeping our eyes on where our heart is and where we need to grow as Christ followers. Uh, as we were looking uh, last week, we just had a little some maps here just to kind of review. Uh, the seven churches are in this area. This is like kind of like almost like a horseshoe some refer to. You can see Italy there too, just to kind of get an idea. And so these were seven letters to seven specific churches going through seven specific things. And uh, we need to realize that uh, John is on the island of Patmos. Uh, he is there because of his faith. And uh, he's basically in a prison situation, breaking rocks and all those kinds of things. And he's an older man, probably in his early 90s. And uh, that's where he is. And he's most likely the only disciple that's still alive. All the other ones have been martyred. And so he is getting this message from Christ, and he writes this down. Uh, when he writes to Ephesus, we need to remember that Ephesus is a, is a big city. It's probably a population of 250,000 people. Uh, and uh, it uh, has the religion uh, of the Greek goddess Diana, or Artemis, as uh, they would say, um, or that's the Greek, and then the Roman is Diana. Uh, the economy was uh, booming there. Uh, it was the doorway to Asia Minor. It was almost like the uh, capital of that. It was going to be a very significant church for the time. Uh, everybody had to move through there to get into the rest of where they were going. It was a gateway to Asia. Uh, the folks that lived there were very well educated. Uh, they even have an amphitheater that uh, seats about uh, 24,000 people. Uh, so that is huge. And again, here is uh, the island of Patmos, and that's where uh, John was. Uh, here's what's left of the ruins for the temple of Diana. And uh, you can see it must have been an elaborate place. It's considered one of the seven uh, wonders of the world. And uh, even today, you can still get a little idol of, of Diana. It's $69 on eBay, so that's where I found that. And uh, please don't go buy one of those. I've got a better way for you to spend your money. But uh, you can get those. And uh, that's probably something of what it looked like. They were in the business of doing this. It was big business of making these idols. People would come and pick them up and take them along their way. And uh, right on, we see uh, that Jesus says, these are the words to John. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. 
Uh, what we're going to start to see here is in the book of Revelation, uh, he is revealing himself in all his glory to John. And it's hard for John to put some of these things into words. Uh, this really is the revelation, is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Uh, we often remember him as being, you know, nice Jesus, you know, with children Jesus and all those kinds of things. But here he is with all his power, majesty. Uh, Older Testament refers to him as the Lion of Judah, all that imagery. And uh, we find that here. Uh, we find that uh, John starts off uh, by talking about uh, on the Lord's Day. It was a Sunday. I was in the spirit, uh, close to God, thinking of God. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Samaria, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, and send these to them. And then he turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and this is what he sees. He's trying to put it all into to words. And when I turned around, seven gold lampstands. We have our seven gold lampstands here from Christmas time. And uh, among these lampstands were this someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the rush of rushing a sound of rushing water in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword i don't know what that really means i got some pictures but they really didn't do what john is describing justice his face was like the shining and all sun shining in all its brilliance when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead instantaneously in the presence of almighty god jesus christ he is down he is just almost comatose he then placed his right hand on me and said do not be afraid i'm the first and the last and again we sometimes think of jesus like this uh, this is them trying to depict it i had trouble finding one with good graphic resolution and uh, here's another one again just this idea of a leader and then if we get this idea of how you and i are to respond to this message to these seven churches and we can apply them to our lives we see whoever has an ear let them hear what the spirit says to the churches and again we we read that and we go mm, nice Th that is powerful strong words you and i need to hear what jesus says to the seven churches and to also us as we apply it and again, when we get back into all of this prophecy, we can take a look at uh, what we talked about last week. But again, trying to know the time, we need to live like it could be tomorrow, prepared. But we also need to be prepared that it could be a lot longer, just as the early church was. Jesus himself said, but about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Again, we tend to want to focus on or miss the obvious when we focus on the obscure. It takes, in a sense, God's word off the eye of our heart and puts it on other things. And really, God's word is to speak to our heart, double-edged sword, be able to cut through everything and really get to the truth in our lives. And we need to be asking our question, are we listening? Are we really listening? Are we listening in a way to apply, to integrate what we're learning into our, our very, very, very lives. So I'm just going to seem like a little of that out left there, out left field. But uh, as we get into this morning, uh, I want us to think a little bit about uh, Uncovered Boss. And uh, you'll see why. Uh, some of us are familiar with this TV show. I, I honestly have to say I've not really watched the full episode, seen bits and pieces here. Uh, but uh, you get the idea. Uh, there's a big, usually a large company where the CEO is unknown to the regular workers, the ordinary workers. And what the boss will do is he'll change his appearance. He'll come into a, a local franchise or whatever just to check it out and see what's going on. He's undercover boss, and he finds out how everybody really is doing. Uh, so this is just one example of the CEO. Uh, this is a, a health club and the, the fruit bar and all that kind of thing that goes along with it. And this undercover boss is there, and this is one of uh, his frontline people that uh, will not, does not recognize him. 
lot of stuff to know, okay. but it's not hard. Like me, I'm just a front desk. So I just kind of sit here, say my haze, how are you, you know, but most of the time I'm kind of just like this. You use that while you work? Yep. Yeah. I don't work for you. With some people, I just want to punch them in the face sometimes. This is our peanut butter and chocolate. Now, we're not supposed to put more than what it says on the menu. And it says on the menu, one pump. I always put two and a half. Tastes better, honestly. Are we doing it uh, the way it says? No, you're going to do it the way I told you. I want these ones. They're very slim. So very slim? Sure. And this goes in the 16-ounce cup, I assume. It just happens to say it there. No, you just do a full cup. You do it in the full cup? You don't have to go by the book with every situation in your life. And I cut out the real juicy parts. That's Jacqueline, and Jacqueline actually doesn't make it on to be an employee of this company as time goes on. And we laugh about that a little bit. We think that's funny, but uh, it's not funny when we start to think about what would happen if Jesus did undercover boss for our church. How would it be if he was sitting next to you right now and you just thought it was a guest? He was a guest and, hey, how you doing? And you just, you know, did your normal thing? Or how about if you were serving in some area of service around here? Would... Uh, would the undercover boss watch you more engaged with your phone? I, I can be guilty of that. More engaged with my phone than what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, what would undercover boss say if he walked with you out to your car after a service and might find some things encouraging, might find some things gossipy? What, what would he say? And uh, so we think of church life and we think of undercover boss and we think of just even focusing down to our own personal life, just the way we interact because Jesus is the CEO. He's given his life for this thing called the church. And, and how, how would that be? What kind of report would he give? Now, what's wonderful, usually the undercover boss uh, finds out and weeds out the, uh, you know, incorrect behavior and usually works with that person. Jacqueline doesn't get worked with because she is really off the rails. Uh, he can't, doesn't, can't say anything. You're just done. I think we're separated here. And uh, then there are other times where he discovers an employee that is struggling with all of life, but that employee gives their all to their job. And uh, it's amazing to see. Sometimes uh, that means that uh, the person identifies that and says, you know, I'm going to give all your kids scholarships to college. You never have to worry about this. Uh, in one case, uh, the CEO uh, liked what this uh, manager was doing so well that the CEO said, you know, you, you give your heart and soul to this. I'm actually going to give you your own franchise. Just give it to you. And so the question uh, goes from ha, 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 Jacqueline to ha, 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 us. What would undercover boss discover in our lives? And that's really what he's doing with these seven churches. Uh, I almost uh, wanted to call the series Undercover Boss, but I didn't think I think Revelation would get your attention enough. But uh, this could be the series of Undercover Boss because Jesus is going, in a sense, undercover in each one of these local churches, uh, these seven churches in that Asia Minor area. And so he starts off in verse 1. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, and the word angel is message, uh, star, all those kinds of things. I would think a better rendering of that would be to the messenger of the church, and uh, it's probably the pastor of that church, because the pastor uh, disseminates the information of these letters to his, his church family. So, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars, that is the seven churches, in his right hand, and walks, or seven um, stars would be the seven uh, messengers, seven pastors, if you will. And walks among the seven golden lampstands, and the golden lampstands uh, would be the churches themselves. And it's the imagery there seems to be pretty clear. Uh, you know, as a church family, we're supposed to shine the light of God into our community. We've got our seven candles over here. And that idea of just sharing the light of Jesus. And uh, so this is, uh, this is what he's starting to address this church in Ephesus. And uh, again, this was, this was a letter. And, uh, you know, we got our little mailbox here. We got some letters, you know, and sometimes when we think of Jesus sending us a letter, they're just, they're nice Jesus letters, you know, sweet and, you know, oh, isn't that nice? Thank you, Jesus, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, these, these letters are going to be tough letters. These letters are going to be hard letters. These uh, letters are going to have a lot of passion, a lot of intensity, 
Uh, and uh, they're not just nice old, nice little note cards from Jesus, the CEO. Uh, Jesus is going to be dealing with some really important things. And then in verse uh, 2 of Revelation 2, he, he says this, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. There's no talking your way out of this. There's no, I misunderstood. I actually know your deeds. And in some moments, in some ways, you and I could just stop the message right now and leave and just think about, I know your deeds, says Jesus. Can I go, can I do it? That would be a great thing. I could, yeah, church is over. And anyway, no, I'm not going to do that. But uh, we'll unpack this a little bit more. But I know your deeds. What would you say if you wrote a review for your life, for my life? Where would be the highlights? Where would be the not-so-good parts? Did we, quote-unquote, keep our job? Did we lose it? Did we get a promotion? Uh, that's Only you can answer that. And we've got one life to live. And what are we doing with this life? When he says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you test those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found them false. They know God's word. They know God's ideas. So they can see where there's, they're out of alignment. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name. And have not grown weary. Other rendering says, not become discouraged. You never wear out. So if we were going to come up with a one-word description for the church at Ephesus, we would say that they endured. They had endurance. They had follow-through. They just stuck with it. They didn't wear out. They didn't grow weary in well-doing and doing good things. They were in it and they were strong about it. And I love that one writer who said they, you know, you didn't, they didn't get discouraged. And that's a wonderful thing to think about because I don't know about you sometimes. I look at our world. I look at how hard it is to, to seem to navigate where we live and all the things going on. And it'd be easy to get discouraged. And it'd be easy for that discouragement to affect me being all in, all in in my community, all in beyond the four walls of my house or the four walls of our church. And I just be into this holy huddle and kind of keep all that out there, not be aware of out there, not engage with out there. But they didn't become discouraged. They realized the world they were in, again, Ephesus was a, uh, a cult capital with the whole Diana industry. You see those ruins. Just imagine what those ruins looked like when they were brand new and they were up, kept well, and uh, the, they were had this big business going on and making these idols and, and probably all the industries in the city touched on that a little bit. Uh, you know, you go to do, do some work for so-and-so, and, -so and they, you're on your way through, and they go, hey, take an idol. It's a complimentary gift from us. Oh, thank you. You know, just, just, just everything. So, but they did not grow discouraged. They stuck with it. They, they, did, they didn't uh, kind of pull back into this holy huddle. They, they followed through. They gave it all their energy. They were strong, and, and that's a wonderful thing. Jesus sees that. He's walking among them. He's aware of what is going on. And I hate to do, well, I don't hate to do this, but that, that makes me think of this guy. It's been a while. Every single day. That guy. Every single day. Every single day. Every single day. yourself now you could say well that's terrible you're not supposed to rule yourself god's supposed to rule you but there is a piece of that that's true you've got to rule yourself under the lordship of god and christ in your life you got to keep at it and some days you don't feel like it sometimes there isn't the wow you don't feel good physically you don't feel good emotionally but and you just uh ephesus didn't let that slow them down they leaned in rather than leaned back. And that's a, that's a pretty amazing thing that they did, how they, they functioned. 
going on to verse 2 or in the message translation. He says, I see what you've done. Your hard, hard work. Your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil. And that you weed out all apostle pretenders. Just that idea. And, you know, when we think about not standing evil, not stomaching evil, the wicked, you know, it's really important that you and I as Christ followers understand our approach. Because sometimes our approach, often our approach, doesn't cause somebody else to lean in. It just causes them to be totally offended and to shut their ears off. I'm sure that in my prayer, that idea of valuing a person without approving of their behavior, and it's a fine line, and every person's a little bit different. But when I'm going to speak to something that I think is uh, not right, I want to make sure that the person that might be hearing that is able to hear it. They still won't like it most of the time, but I want to make sure they can hear it. Now, if you're a young young parent, you start to learn that even with your own kids. Uh, When you express something to them, you can express something to them so that they know you're right, they're wrong. And in that situation, usually you have all the power. You should have all the power, but uh, you have all the power, and they just have to do what you say. But there is a day where you want them to listen even when they don't like it. You want to say it in a way that they hear you. Because if you don't, the minute they're free of your influence or your no, they'll go do their own thing. So we want them to progress through and grow. We want them to hear it. But likewise, as we think about our world and we say, man, I can't stomach evil, that doesn't mean I can't stomach you. Means I can't understand evil because of what it does in your life. See, we're upset not because they're naughty and they're bad. We're upset because they don't get to live the full life that Christ would have for them. That's a completely different approach. I feel bad. I feel sorry. I'm, I'm concerned. I want you to live the less, best life possible. And I know that when you're aligned with these principles, when you're following your God, when he's a part of your life, when the Spirit is leading you, that that's a better life than the other way. I know that that's true, obviously, for a Christ follower, because they ought to be following Christ. But I also know it's for this true world, and we live in a difficult world. And, And again, we can either approach something or say something in a way that someone might hear it, or we can approach and say something where someone will definitely not hear it. So it's really important. That leads us on to if, if when Paul wrote the church of Ephesians, and Paul spent a lot of time in probably his most successful ministry. Uh, he loved the Ephesians. I think he was there for like three years. And this is what he says in one of his letters to them, or his letter to them. Watch the way you talk. Do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. As if it fits as it fits the occasion, that it may benefit, that it may give grace to those who listen, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That, that, that phrase from verse 30 is kind of interesting because it's saying you're not just being a jerk, you're not just offending someone, you're just not being uh, getting in someone's face, but you actually grieve the Holy Spirit when you and I take an approach that's different than verse 29. One time my dad was telling me the story, and uh, just take it for what it is, he, uh, someone he was visiting with was really complaining uh, about this person, and on and on and on and on and on and on. And my father finally said to him, do you pray for that individual as much as you complain about that person? The person sat up, never brought it up again. <laughs> that's, a, that's an amazing concept, something I have to take hard. Do I even have a quarter of the amount of prayer for that individual as I say negative things about that individual? 10%. Do I even pray, or do I just, eh, meh, 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 meh? Ephesians, no, don't do that. So you stand against what is unaligned, but you stand in a way that the person who's listening finds it helpful for building others up. And that applies to our marriages. It applies to every part of of our life so moving on to verse four but i hold this against you 
You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Consider that. So all these wonderful things, you can be doing all the right things, you can have endurance, but your heart tends to disengage. Reminds me of Top Gun and these guys. I will spare you of trying to sing. You've lost that loving feeling, and it's gone, 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 gone. But that can happen to our relationship with God. Can have that. It's gone. You know, we need to really watch out. You need to watch out when your faith grows old. If you're not careful, your faith grows cold. So sad. We see it in marriages. Oh, it just bothers us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Uh, you know, a couple kind of waves the, the flag. They've been married 45 years, 50 years, six years, whatever. Uh, but they really don't seem to like each other. You go, what, what, what's the point? It's great that they'd stay together, but uh, their love has grown cold. They, they, they're not like passionate. They're not like looking forward to seeing their spouse. Has only put up with almost 34 years of me, so she still acts like her heart is warm towards me. But, uh, you know, she's actually excited that now we're getting into a season where she has Mondays off and I have Mondays off and we can spend Mondays together. And uh, that, that, that she actually acts like she likes that. She's not into it, I agree. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but uh, she acts like, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, faith gets old, love grows cold. And that's what happened with the Ephesus. This is probably uh, second, third generation Christ followers at that church. And that can get hard. Uh, this isn't in your notes. I've talked about this before. But uh, sometimes uh, first generation Christians are really committed. They're on fire. Uh, some of us are in different places. I'm probably third, fourth Christian uh, generation. Uh, my parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents probably knew Christ. So, uh, you know, first generation's committed. Uh, you sometimes see this sweep through a family, and wow, they are on fire for Jesus. They have a passion and a love, and you're like, calm down. Let, you know, easy. But they're just committed. Then we see when second generation, the things that were of value, following Christ, integrating that life, are, are not as important any longer. Uh, being a part of a local church, uh, being involved in things. Uh, they're, they're just just a little compromised. They kind of do it, but they kind of do it not. They're, they're compromised. They're not fully, fully engaged. And then often we see with a third generation, they grow cold. And uh, it's, just, it's just kind of going through the routines. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but New England, uh, uh, the meeting house, the church, the political, it was all in one place, and some good things and bad things about that. But in the beginning years of the 13 colonies and all this kind of stuff, uh, my dad reminds me that because he was there, but uh, the 13 colonies, when they were there, that, uh, that they actually had to come up with a second-tier membership to those local churches. There were the first-generation on-fire Christians, we follow Christ, and then there were the second, third generations that wanted to be a part of the fellowship. It's, it was a business hub also. They wanted to be a part of the meeting house, but they weren't really buying this thing of following Christ. They were cold to it. So you can actually see in the history, there was a, I forget what they called, but again, there was, a, there was like a, a first-tier membership, and then there was you're a member because you're a part of the community, but you're really not a Christ follower. And that those churches compromised in that area. They allowed for that, and now... Very rarely do you find a congregational church in New England. There are some, but you don't find many that are really sold-out, Christ-centered churches. It's because of that whole system. So we have to ask ourselves about that. And we've talked about this before. We need to create first-generation experiences. So if you're a parent and you're first-generation, second-generation, hopefully you've had some first-generation experiences, but you need to create those for your children so it's fresh and so it's new, so they hold on to faith. Most definitely, um, I didn't get it right. Cindy got it better than I did, but with our girls, we made sure that they were having first-generation experiences, some mission trips. We went on as a family, uh, serving in the church. Sometimes people say, well, why do you think your girls still own their faith in their mid-20s? And some of it is because they've always been serving. 
from age 10 on, they were doing something. As soon as you cut something up for the kids thing, they were kind of cutting it alongside her. And they started to own. It wasn't something that was done for them, to them. They became stockholders in this thing called the church. It became their church, not just my parents' church, just not my dad's a pastor. They really began to own it. And so I really encourage you. You know, when we talk about service, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes, and spent basically three or four weeks talking about it, it's not about getting you to serve to get things done. It's scripture is absolutely clear. If you want to grow in your relationship with God and keep growing, you need to be giving something away in your life. You need to be serving. In a church, outside a church, you need to be serving. If you're not, you may be growing because you're reading your Bible, but you're not applying it. Whatever it did, the two don't fit, and eventually there'll be a hiccup. It's got to be a part of your spiritual growth process. So we saw that with our kids, and uh, I see it all the time. And uh, if you want to avoid this going from committed to compromised to cold and have first-generation experiences, this is a part of the recipe. It's not the only ingredient, but it's a part of the recipe. So with that, you have to ask, why do you do the Jesus stuff? Because again, Ephesus was doing stuff. Ephesus was doing the Jesus stuff. And uh, yet, it was their love was growing cold. And you and I can get really involved in checking things off, doing our things, and it's just we're going through emotion. Our love has dissipated. And sometimes you see that in a marriage. You see they've been kind of like being, doing, going, 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 and all of a sudden the bottom drops out. And you go, how did that happen? They seemed like so happy together. They seemed like blah, 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 blah. And it's because the love had grown cold. They were just checking things off the list. They really weren't engaged in their life together. And the same thing happens with believers. Sometimes you go, why did that? I thought they were a Christian. I thought they were blah, blah, blah. And they just kind of drop off. This isn't always the only reason, but a lot of the times is they were just checking things off in life. And finally one day, they just said, I don't need that. And started going a different direction because their heart was not engaged. So what are some symptoms? Very obvious symptoms for a cooling faith, and we need to watch this, and we need to be observant. I think all of us as Christ followers do go through these rhythms where we start to get into, I'm doing it just because I'm doing it, my heart's not engaged, and then all of a sudden it starts to feel a little empty, and hopefully that is the warning sign, this is starting to feel empty, what's wrong, it's not the church, it's not the ministry, it's not the whatever, it's probably that my heart is growing cold. You at least need to ask that question ask that question this idea of just come becoming complacent just this idea of just becoming casual with uh you know what you're doing it's just not you know it's just kind of kind of just do it Uh, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me that's an engaged person there's a daily kind of thing you're you're in a sense putting the pieces of your life before god every day and saying all right this is your life i'm going to follow you we just sang songs that uh, had those concepts in them but we just become so casual with it it's just you know and it's become casual with it you know jesus is my buddy uh, you know, Jesus is like a college friend or a person you used to work for that uh, you work with and you don't really know them too well, but you kind of you call them every once in a while or you definitely call them when you're moving and you want some help. But, you know, that's kind of just about as far as it goes. We've gone casual with our faith. Way back in the day, there was this uh, Christian rock group called, the De- I can, now I can't pronounce it. Yeah, look at those outfits. Bill remembers those days. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, and they had this song called, I Don't Want to Be a Casual Christian. And it just goes on and on and on. It's a good song about not wanting to be a casual Christian. And when you and I are casual, it starts to affect the passion in our heart. And then it causes us to be compromised. There are things that, uh, you know, we do and don't do or whatever that was, was totally out of bounds. And now it's kind of okay what we do, the rhythms, what's important to us. It starts to show we start to be compromised. Uh, You know, it's amazing. Uh, Again, Ephesus was into making idols for everybody, you know, and you can still get one of these Dianas today. But, uh, you know, we live in a country that's great at making idols. 
you know, things that uh, take our attention off God. We are an ma- idol-making place. And uh, what's harder about our idol is many of these idols start off to be a good thing. And then somewhere there's a tipping point where our heart's more aligned to whatever that is, position, power, money, whatever you want to call, uh, summer home, camper, this, that, recreational activity. And all of a sudden our alignment changes. God brings us those gifts into our lives, those delights of our lives. And somewhere along the line, we go from thanking God to kind of owning our thing or letting our thing own us. We become vulnerable to all the things that cry out for attention and affection. There's just unlimited things that cry out for our attention and affection. You got kids in school, sports are great, but you can just live sports all the time. They can own you, own you. And so there's no time for anything else. Talk to some people, oh, we're so busy with this and this and that and that. So, yeah, we've missed seeing you at church. Oh, I just don't have time for it. Well, because it's because baseball, soccer, all these things own them. And there's nothing wrong with that stuff in of itself. I've told you a story of when Mariah got into this clogging, like clogging dance group. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, she could try that. And she's like, and she was kind of good at it. I mean, she wasn't going to be like on the clogging Olympics, but she was pretty good at it. And, um, you know, and all of a sudden the next level was we got, had to get this, like, $300 dress, you know, and this and that. And now it was weekends, and we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, she wants to clog on the side. That's fine. But it's not going to, like, we're not, not going to be, like, defining our life. We're not like, oh, there's the clogging family, the Spencers. And we just kind of, we have clogging music in our car, you know. We got bumper sticker, you know. I don't know what you'd say about clogging and all that stuff. You know, it was okay until it like wanted to take over our life. And you don't get those years back. And then you lie in bed and you hear clogging music. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't get out of my head. <laughs> but you know, I you know, I say a song, it's it's you know, I'd rather have our kids be nominal cloggers, but all engaged vice followers of our highest source. And some of us send the message, we want our kids to be cloggers more than to be solid, all-in Christ followers. Something becomes an idol when your love for it overtakes your love for Jesus. And that can include doing church stuff, too. Doing ministry stuff. If you find that you're so busy doing church stuff that you don't have time to spend with God, it's overtaken your love for Jesus. You got to whack. And it's hard. You got you to pay attention. You got to be aware. You got to grab a pulse of where your life is and what's going on. But the great thing is this, is there is hope. There definitely is hope. And Jesus is going to tell us to go back where you started. Go back to where you started. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So for Ephesus, the light goes out. No more light in the community. I just didn't have the time, and I didn't want to make any negative statements, but part of me wanted to drive around just Seneca County and take pictures of churches that are no longer churches. There are tons of them. They're everywhere. They are absolutely everywhere, and that's not to make a judgment call, but they're everywhere. Since I've been here, I've watched three churches that met stop meeting, and now they're not churches anymore. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get into what was going on in those churches and all that kind of stuff, but, but, but it's just the concept of the lights are going out. And this will sound very self-serving, and maybe it is, <laughs> but wouldn't you hate 20 years from now to not have a Seneca County, a Seneca community church here that's still standing? And everyone gets to the point where they go, we're going to drive up to Waterloo, we're going to go over to Syracuse, we're going to go up to Rochester, we're going to go down to Ithaca, because there's no light-bearing church in the middle of the county. And that's one of the reasons the church got started back 40, 50 years ago. But we're getting that same place. We're now second, third generation. The founders, there aren't many of those around that were here in the beginning days. 
And it's not that a church should last forever. There's nothing about that. But the light of Jesus should last forever in every community. And so you got to go back and do the things you first did as a Christ follower. I know, uh, see, there's somebody who's in here. There we are. 21 and a little older, but uh, we won't say that. Engagement picture in the newspaper. I tell you, I remember when we first met that summer in 1985, and I discovered she liked coffee with cream in it. I made sure I had my cabin of 12-year-old boys up and out to flag raising in the center of the camp so I could have her coffee ready, just kind of sitting there. La, 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 la. Then city comes down with her and goes, hey, here you go. I didn't feel burdened to do that at all. I was like, guys, get up, let's go. They're like, what's up with this? Yeah, we got to get down there. And they just, mm -hmm, you know, and you know, and I, I wouldn't miss that for anything. Now, get your own coffee. Sitting. No, it isn't that way. It isn't. <laughs> mm, another good reason she's in kid zone right now. But uh, the idea, you know, of first love. Just think of the things you did to woo and win your spouse. I joke, but I'm completely serious. I used to go to plays. I went to the Nutcracker. Oh, oh, oh my word. I don't really like high school, college, ba college basketball. She was into, you know, all these kinds of things. I even rode a horse a couple times, and I, that is like, that's why God invented cars, so you don't have to have horses. So you got to do the first things. But there should be some new first things. And there are some new first things. You know, I, you know, we have a little game. Who can empty the dishwasher first? Uh, all these kinds of things. Really high romance. But, uh, hey, it works. Empty a dishwasher for your wife. See what happens. But anyway, that's for another subject. All right, PG-13. But anyway, first things first. So let's go back to your relationship with God. I was talking to someone uh, who was new to scripture and uh, they were, you know, trying to figure out how to read the Bible. And obviously, when we look at a book, we start from the beginning, go to the end. And if you do that with the Bible, once you get through some of the stories, you get into Leviticus and stuff like that, you get bogged down. And uh, I, I, in a sense, said, yeah, do some New Testament. You can do that? Yes, they were totally excited and jazzed. They went home and they couldn't wait to begin in Matthew. When was the last time you were excited like that to do anything spiritual? When was the last time you said, oh, Sunday, till next week is boring and slow. Or when did you roll out of bed and go, I get to go to church today. I get to sing. I get to work with some other people. I get to do that. When was the last time you rolled out of bed and go, I get to get time with God. So I would, I would encourage first things first, 15 minutes. I want to say five minutes. No, take 15 minutes. Give me a break. If you really want to spend time with God, you should come up with 15 minutes. And if you can't, your life is messed up. I, I, I mean, come on. It's like, if you can't squirrel away 15 minutes, I'm not even saying in the first of the day because some of us aren't morning people. Um, people think I'm a morning people, but I just get up so stinking early. By the time other people start waking up around me, I've already been up an hour and a half and had a pot of coffee, so it's, it's different. But, uh, you know, whatever it is, find 15 minutes. Four or five times a week. Throw Sunday on top of that. First things first. Um, worship. You know, I'm going to say worship is any time you do something that God wants you to do. You, you have a decision and you go, I'm going to do this. Uh, it can be everything from... Uh, you know, so I've talked about this before, you know, seeing a piece of trash in the parking lot and go, oh, somebody else will take care of that. And I'm like, no, I need to do that because God's laying that on my heart. I'm surrendering to God in that moment, something little, and I do that. You can do those things. But also just worshiping. I, I actually started doing this a little bit more, just slowing down and turning our satellite radio on to one of those worship uh, stations and just listening for five, ten minutes when I'm driving someplace surprised me how that changes my heart. Find the style of music you like and worship. 
it's a tough one. Fasting, obviously I don't do this when it comes to food, but uh, fasting other kinds of things. We started getting in a habit. Uh, we don't have a TV in our bedroom. That's been the way it's always been because, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a distraction to me. Uh, I stay up later than I ought to. But we do have an iPad in our room, and I have started to kind of like watch a little TV show, watch a little I Dream of Jeannie before I go to bed. So weird, right, you know? Back in the day when everything was easy, right? And, uh, and all of a sudden, the other day I was thinking about this, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to go back to reading, reviewing what I read for my devotions in the morning before I go to bed, and then that's going to be my thought before I go to sleep, not how major theory and major nonsense turns around when you see me making mistakes. What do you need to fast from that would give your attention more to the Lord. Also, the idea of serving. Uh, you know, that's, I, I will say this. This will get me, I, I usually am not this way, but I'm going to say this. I was a little disappointed after we went through the, I want to say yes, but, that we only saw a little uptick on people that wanted to serve in new ways. And it's not the people that are already doing everything. And it's not because, again, wanting to get a job done. But that reflects your heart in growing with relationship with God. You know, our vision statement, you know, make a difference wherever you are in people's lives by leading them into a growing relationship with God through Christ. That's the point. Growing relationship with God. Starting and growing. And I absolutely know that service is a part of the rest of this. And it's not to get something done. And, and you may already have, you know, I, and I don't know what everybody does done. That's none of my business. But I, it is my business as a pastor to want this church family to be growing spiritually. And an indicator of that is how you are serving and and serving is by being nice yes so so yes if you're nice you're serving god but but it needs to be a little bit more than that somewhere we will engage and you know i don't have to go back and talk about all those things but there's plenty of places opportunities for that and i'm going to say don't wait until you feel like it uh, you know i never feel like going on a diet i never feel like doing all these things but uh, you get into it you start doing it and then your emotions usually catch up. You take an action, and then your emotions follow. And uh, maybe it's discipline that gets you into that, and your emotions catch up. And hopefully your emotions do catch up. If it's a long time and your emotions never catch up, maybe it's a missed match. But, uh, you know, I don't feel like getting up and reading my Bible. Well, get, get, get at it anyway. And, uh, you know, I kind of alluded to this already, but no church is permanent. No church is permanent. And you may say, that's good. <laughs> but uh, no church is permanent. We're only a few decisions, a few years are over for, for, for being done, or at least being kind of dead and hollow. And uh, that, that's, that's pretty sad. And so obviously we don't want that. We don't want to be like, Jesus talking about Ephesus and the light going out. We don't want that to be us. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not John, not Gabe Spencer, no one else, but what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And this isn't about earning your way to heaven. It's about being rewarded for your faithfulness. Don't totally know what that looks like. I would be guessing, but I know it's good. I know it's something you're going to want, something I'm going to want. There's going to be a day where I'm thankful that I was faithful in some area and I am rewarded for that. I'm going to have regret for the opportunities I had where I did not take always an opportunity to repent as long as there's breath in you and to return to your first love. I say that when I'm counseling a couple for marriage. 
any relationship, and especially even so much more your relationship with God. Repent. Change your ways. Change your direction. And return to your first love. Let's pray. Thank you. This is in your notes. The stress that drives us back to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation, the way of righteousness, following God. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regret and end up on a deathbed of regret. And you've got, you've come out, you're out of this with purity of heart. And the idea here is that if you're feeling convicted right now, that's awesome. If you're feeling guilty, I don't want to make you feel guilty. Conviction is God-driven. Guilt is something else. And that, I don't want any of that. But if that causes you to lean in, that's fantastic. But don't let it cause you to lean away. If you're a newer Christian, you may have a hard time con getting this idea, but older faith doesn't have to become colder faith. Wherever you're at, it doesn't have to be that way. And hopefully when you think about engaging with your faith, it's not because I have to, but it's because I get to. And that's heart-driven. That's a return to first love idea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the book of Revelation. Lord, a lot of times we think of the prophecy and all that stuff and what's that mean, but there is core meaty stuff for each one of us. And I ask no matter what age or stage we're at with this walk with you, that we would do the things that chip away at the ice around our heart. Help us to do those things. Help us to change. Help our faith to grow warmer, not colder. And Lord, as we look at life, help us not to do it because we have to, but do it because we get to. We ask all of this in Jesus.